Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Um, I swear to God, I've never heard anything that loud in my life as what well, you just it's, did. It's like, you know, it's doing one of those. Nothing, I still get a spoon. What am I doing? Nothing. I one of the screams or the like, the shouts or the trumpeting in War of the Worlds was as loud as you pouring that bubble oh, tea just that's now. Over exaggeration. It really like is a New Year, new podcast. Like beverage. spilling bubbles everywhere. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be back in a second. Sorry for also being late, but not as late as Jason. I'm having like plumbing problems. Apparently, Bro, I was here. Is, is that what, is that what you call it? These <laughs> days? He created the room. Oh, come on. Okay, I'll be. Give me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, I'm, listen, buddy, I'm well familiar with the Grossman's plumbing problems, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Check out Aaron's review for Rebels of the Neon God only on Letterboxd. That is a good. Uh, that's maybe his best review. I mean, there's a running uh, joke so. where. His most the, practical, the, certainly. The Grossman brothers just have the worst shits in the world. <laughs> yeah. Aha. Welcome, Abby, by the way. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> I, I, I thought you we were ready, which is why I started the recording. But we can just yeah, start without but, Aaron, uh, right? Apparently, yeah. yeah. Aaron just needs to, every single time when we're about to record, he decides that's the right <laughs> time to make a drink for himself. Which, like, <laughs> we've been doing this for, what, three years, maybe four years uh, running. I'm, it's always I the love exact my little same beverages. time. You could maybe you do it your silly uh, little drinks. at any point in the day before we start recording, uh, is all I'm saying. But then saying. it's not fresh. I sure. mean, that's fair. Look fresh at for the mason pot. jar looking. It's very. I mean, I gotta. I gotta say, I'm giving a big thumbs up to this Rico brand brown sugar bubble milk tea. Um, big thumbs up. It tastes like brown sugar. Tastes like kind of like a gingerbread thing going on. I'm. I'm really quite excited about it. So that's that's great. We can we can we can yeah. Move this, past you, this. You've, you've yeah. just missed oh, the holiday period. Like yeah, that. Um, sorry, that, uh, that that was more like a pour of the worlds. P O U R. Am I? Am I? Uh, am Thank I, am you. Am I wrong? I'm not very wrong. much. I'm wrong. Jason, take it away. Try love. It's a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilon Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Get tickets there. I uh, am Jason Daphnis. I am a splinter. This podcast is a body, and when it's ready, it will just push me out. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison. That that is my refrigerator, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Make some noise, baby. It's Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. <laughs> Neither do men live nor die in vain. That's what I tell myself when I'm losing in Call of Duty. Uh, my name is Aaron. You can find me <laughs> on Twitter at <laughs> RP Play. Harry just shaking his head at that one. Not funny. Apologies. He's dead inside. I know I laughed. Uh, I was just muted, so nobody could hear me, but trust me, I did laugh. Uh, we are... We are joined by a very special guest, a returning guest to the podcast um, from our episode 184 on Drive Angry. Uh, good, hem- excuse me, Good Hunter Abby herself. Find her on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Letterboxd. I'm on. I'm on work. Bro, so what? Letterboxd <laughs> on Twitter. That's, yeah, that's the good. saddest and sickest Abby, thing I've ever Abby, heard you Abby, say on this Abby podcast. Phelps, Abby Phelps, are you on LinkedIn? Where can people find you on LinkedIn? <laughs> I am on LinkedIn, and none of you are going to find me there. Um, <laughs> hi, I have no joke, but I am Abby, and my Twitter account is currently a secret because my main Twitter account is on hiatus. So you can go there, but there won't be any tweets there apart oh, from wow. me shilling my life's work. Okay. Uh, well, 
an air of secrecy about uh, about the actual where to find Abby, but you know, I guess she'll find you. Uh, today's episode is going to be about a movie that is playing as part of the series into the 21st century uh, dystopia, the Trilon. Uh, it is uh, what the second, third in the series. Um, if you Try are listening to this, fifth. Oh my god. There's a bunch that we just haven't covered yet. Um, we have a number of films left in the series. If you're listening to this at release, you can still catch AI Artificial Intelligence, WALL-E, uh, The World of Tomorrow, the first three episodes, Mag Max Fury Road, Looper, Ex Machina, and Edge of Tomorrow all throughout January. Uh, if you're listening to it beyond that, just check the Trilon's website, trilon.org, uh, and check out the, pr- the programming schedule for it. But I haven't said the name of the movie yet, and that is our good friend Aaron's job, uh, along with a quick summary of what the movie is. Yes, we are talking War of the Worlds, not the War of the Worlds. They dropped the the for it. Uh, 2005 film directed by Steven Spielberg uh, stars Tom Cruise as a kind of blue collar deadbeat dad, uh, as, Ray Farrier. As Casey Affleck. Yes. <laughs> it stars oh. Tom Cruise as Casey Affleck. A little bit. Uh, stars Dakota Fanning uh, as uh, Ray's daughter, Rachel, uh, Justin Chatwin as his son, Robbie, and uh, Miranda Otto as his ex-wife, Mary Ann. Uh, the story follows Ray and his two kids uh, as Earth is invaded by aliens, and the three of them struggle to survive. That's the shortest plot summary I've ever done. Look at that. Uh, the film was, of course, based on the H.G. Wells' 1898 novel, The War of the Worlds, uh, bringing the context of the film uh, from, uh, uh, you know, a Martian invasion of uh, England overseas to the good old U.S. of A. Uh, there are various other other changes. They're not technically Martians in this. Uh, Tom Cruise is running around with his family, um, things like that. Uh, but despite these changes, kind of the core of the, the original story remains intact. And many people have argued that the film uh, released, as I, I mentioned earlier, in 2005 kind of represents or at least speaks to uh, this kind of national uh, psychology um, in the, the years after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Uh, the film was a critical and uh, commercial success. Maybe some of that could be a little bit argued with, but it was, it was nominated, for example, for a number of uh, technical uh, Academy Awards, losing them all to King Kong, uh, which I would what? argue has aged worse than, than this film. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's what I got. Uh, uh, Abby, uh, I believe... You're, I don't know, what, what's your what's your current uh, temp on the Spielberg adaptation of War of the Worlds? Yeah, so the general uh, consensus on Letterboxd and other places seems to be that this is minor Spielberg, and those people are all insane. This is like, yeah. arguably, you could, very, you could make a strong case for this being his masterpiece. As it is, it is certainly in my top three or five of his movies. I think that this is possibly the most truly apocalyptic thing ever put to screen. Um, every single ounce of his talent for blocking and camera work and just sensory overload is on display here. Um, also one of the, one of the great early two thousands examples of digital analog blending. Um, I think that Cruz is perfectly cast and has never had a better performance than he has here. I think that probably he was so scared by that fact that he then decided to retreat to just being a Superman. Um, and I, I, I wish that post nine 11 paranoid Spielberg had hung on a bit longer instead of, as we were talking about before this episode, then just diving into, but what if we did Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Um, right. Or schlocky World this. War One, World War Two, kind of like just schlocky historical crap, I guess, as well for a number of years there. Yeah. 
I'm yeah. so happy this is the tone to stay. <laughs> I'm so I thought somebody was gonna come in here really shitting on that. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Do you do you like the family stuff? I feel like that's I mean, not to just like, but I feel like that's is always the thing that I've heard is like the third act of this, the family stuff detracts from the greatness of the rest of it. Um and I'm kind of curious if we're all on that page or or maybe not. I love the family stuff. I think that you can't have the rest of the movie without that stuff being there. And I think that that also is the showcase for why this movie is so good about Cruz is that he starts off as just this absolute shitbag dad who then loses any semblance of control, which is such a such a just tearing down of his typical screen persona. I think that that is what makes the movie tick. And you wouldn't have that if you didn't have him just desperately trying to save his family and yeah. be as unshitty as he can be, even though he can't. There's... There's so much about the family stuff for me that does not work. I think that was like the weak point for me. And it's just because I was applying a very like traditional, okay, we're going to get their backstory. We're going to get some like emotional handhold or like, what is it? When you're rock climbing, you can grab the next piece, something else to like move their relationship forward. And it's like, you're not going to really get that in this movie. You're just going to see again, him going from shitty deadbeat dad, kind of motorcycle, cool ass guy to just like a guy who's completely out of his depth. He has no idea how to handle. Nobody has no, any idea how to handle any of this stuff. So he just retreats into that like very defensive protective mode. Um, the moment that still got me despite all of that toward, it wasn't toward the end. It's like third act stuff. If I remember correctly, end of second act, third act stuff um, is when sh- uh, Rachel asks him to sing her to sleep. And he's like, I don't know any of those lullabies. I don't know how to sing to my daughter. And it's just this terrifyingly like depressing ass moment in the middle of this horror. Like, I, I had no idea how to feel about that because I didn't know enough about the characters to know whether they should have a good relationship or not. It was just like, well, this is what I'm being presented with. I was, I was astonished by it because it, it struck a really like strongly emotional chord for me. I was actually sad about that in that moment, but I don't know that like from a traditional perspective, I had what I would need to like latch on to those characters in that way. I think maybe Aaron, is that sort of where you're coming from when you evoke some of that like criticism of the family stuff? A little bit. I mean, it, it's it does feel a bit schlocky, but kind of in a way that works. I mean, my, you know, I don't know, maybe I kind of, of gave it away when I in my intro here, but I, I do feel that like the movie is, you know, I, I think able to be criticized from like a political perspective, certainly kind of what it represents, um, you know, in regard to United States, like fear and paranoia around terrorist attacks. I think there is a subtlety there that is kind of interesting, but like, I think that tied in with like the family stuff with the iconography of church. I mean, the first building that falls is a church, right? And, and the, the, the kind of images of destruction are very, you know, pointedly kind of classic Americana in a way that like, I think can gel with some of the family stuff in and maybe kind of a, uh, interesting if troubling way. Um, but like, I also kind of dig it. I mean, I I think that a lot of people when watching this film kind of want it to be even a bit darker than it is. And I think they they kind of view like specifically the ending of this film is kind of like a a betrayal of the hopelessness that came before. Um, I don't know that I agree with that, but also I think I kind of get it. Like it does feel a bit jarring in a a certain way. Um, So, yeah. 
Um, I really like that we got here because the movie's politics really fascinate me as well in that I think that this is a movie that sets up to do a lot of traditionalist stuff, a lot of sort of jingoist stuff, a lot of sort of post 9-11 paranoia, uh, nuclear family stuff. And maybe on the strength of the performances and maybe just on the particularities of what actually unfolds in the movie and maybe just because of how well made it is, it really sidestepped almost all of that for me. Like it kind of sets up a bunch of stuff that I think I wasn't going to like. Um, and instead like disarmed all of that and actually took it to some really interesting places a lot of what abby said really resonated with me and is kind of the heart of this movie is the fact that like cruz's character is like a deconstruction of tom cruise characters and also of sort of like the idea of this sort of like masculine uh patriarchal protector of the family control of sort of history control of uh like how things unfold. Um, the characters in this movie that survive, like Tim Robbins' character sort of ironically says, are the people that have a really realistic notion of their place in things and their ability to control things, right? Um, I really love that, for instance, they keep the original ending to War of the Worlds where humanity didn't do shit to defeat the aliens, right? Like, we were screwed. It was our planet, basically, that took care of it for us. Similarly here, it's like Tom Cruise has to sort of reckon with the fact that he is not a badass that can sort of like control what's happening, what's unfolding around him, much like Americans can't control what's unfolding around them, much like sort of your idea or your understanding that like somehow your sort of homesteader uh, mentality, your guns, your uh, ammunition, your church are going to protect you from or like give you the ability to not only be protected from, but also affect the course of history is simply not the case, right? And like in the face of those failings, we have to understand ourselves in different contexts in order to continue to um, survive and uh, move forward through uh, time and, and in sort of like a global context. And I actually like as sort of scary, I mean, and, and Spielberg is, is very clearly leveraging our fear of that new understanding of ourselves for uh, the horrific effect that he does here. I think it's a kind of a good lesson and kind of a subversive lesson, especially like in the face of 9-11, when we were very much as a nation not thinking on those terms, we were very much like, actually, we're going to go into the Middle East and find and kick the asses of all of the quote unquote terrorists. And it doesn't really matter who they are or if they actually perpetuated 9-11 because we're America and like we can't actually be, uh, we can't actually fail. We can't actually have control stolen from us. So for this movie to come out in the face of that and be like, actually, like, there are things much, much bigger than you that you will never have control over that, in fact, people and nations and especially dads and especially Tom Cruise, America's weird withholding dad, uh, will never have control over. I actually kind of really dig that. Uh, and I think it's kind of a thumb in the nose of a lot of the prevailing, uh, like, cinematic and, um, like, even patriarch or patriotic narrative that was being perpetuated at this time but that might be me applying a 2022 lens or 23 now wow lens to this um and just sort of like maybe trying to control uh my opinion of this movie on the basis of how much i actually enjoy watching this movie because holy shit we can maybe talk about this but like spielberg does laps around every other action movie director 
maybe whoever lived, uh, particularly in this movie. There are so many like moments and shots and like compositions that I'm like, how did he make it look so easy? And how are we not getting more movies like this? But anyway, uh, I so I guess. To, that is all to say, like, I really like the family stuff in this movie, and I think it actually dovetails with the overall themes pretty well. Um, and I think that even the sort of, like, economy in which the family is introduced and in which they progress and the, like, distance that we have from them, it all really gels for me, uh, to answer Jason's point. But I think I'm with Aaron in that, like, I think, like... Maybe I get it, especially like the fact that Robbie miraculously survives with no explanation at the end of the movie is kind of an interesting uh, tidbit. But um, I kind of chalked that up to Spielberg sentimentality. But uh, what do you think about the family, Abby, and, and anything I've been saying? Does that gel with you or what do you think? Yeah. Um, so, so, so first off, just uh, I had to get this in this episode somewhere. One of my favorite tweets is one a friend of mine made talking about World of the Worlds where she was like, we need Tom Cruise to believe he can die again, um, which <laughs> I think is very much in line with the good about this whole movie. But to relate to the um, the, the political aspect, especially like America learning it can't control things. Um, you know, I think that this is actually much smarter about about that jingoism than it would, it would initially appear on its face. I think that something that really clicked for me on this watch was it is it is very um, pr- pretty blatantly open in the subtext. I think that right when America was sending off a bunch of kids to die in the just die in Iraq for no reason, Robbie is just insisting for with no actual logic whatsoever. I need to go there. I need to be able to see this and do this. Right. You know, he doesn't doesn't even necessarily have any cogent thoughts on how they're going to get back to them which is i need to see this i need to see this spectacle and then as soon as he gets his wish it's there's this wave of fire that comes up and for all we know it just blows him away and even when he's back in the ending you know i think reading the ending as overly optimistic i think is a bit misguided like especially when that minor key williams score hits and it is blatantly clear that this is not intended to be unambiguously happy it's sort of the feeling of cruises coming in here and like waking up from this fever dream he only half remembers and even though he has his family back none of them are ever going to be the same. They're all going to be irrevocably changed by what they've just gone through. And even though his son is back, in a sense, he's never actually going to have Robbie back again the way that he was. Um, I'm going to defer to Cody here because hand is raised. Um, so, Cody, you got the floor. No, um, no, I, I appreciate that. And you and Ari both said uh, a lot of really good things that I just want to jump in here really quick on. The uh, the sort of 9-11 um, subtext and, and imagery especially is something that I have always, like the post, you know, movies that were released after, you know, year like 2002 onward, I've always just like kind of chalked up to like, oh, some of these things that I'm seeing, we can just, you know, lend itself to it's we're living in a post 9-11 world. And I've never really attacked that sort of mindset beyond that. And so like, I, tr- I tried to do that a little more with this movie and um, seeing it at the the, the trial on and for, I guess seeing this movie for the first time in a handful of years, um, it was definitely like on cable a lot. And so definitely something that I'm sure a lot of folks, um, you know, with cable had on, uh, who grew up around the same time as me, you know, like that, that imagery, the, those, I mean, those images, the you know, Tom, the B- Tom Cruise running beginnings, I'm sure that's all, you know, uh, something that's very <laughs> integral to, um, you know, our, our, you know, growing up and, and things like that, especially 2005 onward, but like thinking about, now how this movie and it's been brought up already but like the this is not the first film adaptation of of war of the worlds and um the the fact that yeah and i guess i don't know how much the 1953 film played directly off the novel but the fact that it does i think as harry you said it does 
come to the same ending of like the world kind of shuts the tripods down on its own just by the nature of our like chemical biology being the way it is. Um, and then that ultimately being the resolution of this 2005 version, um, the sort of meat and potatoes of the 1953 movie, um, played a little bit more off of like, there's an attack and there's more of a, an, a wider ensemble of characters looking to try and figure things out. And then we're also, especially in the third act, taking a closer look at like, what does this new, what does society look like now that we have a clear, like hierarchy for like what these new otherworldly powers are. And we're sort of responding to that. And we're looking at society kind of um, like falling apart at the seams a little bit before ultimately, you know, the earth's biology thwarts the, the tripods, whereas, you know, Spielberg opted to put, and we've already said it already, but like put a, put a greater focus on, uh, it plays more as a, as like an action thriller, but more of like a family focus, more of, um, you know, a thrill um, paranoia based, uh, focus playing more off of the spectacle of that 9-11 imagery and um, I wasn't not going to bring up uh, you know, the greatest film of all time 2004 is the day after tomorrow um, but like this movie coming out um, just a year before this I think those two movies and I think um, Abby you said this you know up top this being such a, a, like a visually apocalyptic film um, that being 2005's War of the Worlds um, like those were two movies I remember seeing as like a young teenager and thinking like, there's no way I'll be able to see this. The, like, there's no way these films won't be rated R just like seeing the, the teasers for these movies, seeing the imagery of people being vaporized um, and like the desensitization that, that comes from that. And all of the, the sort of movies that, that followed after this, I feel like war of the worlds among all the other things that have been brought up, like introduced a, a really um, some, I don't know, just like a starting point for a movement that was, that was um, kind of fascinating. And then uh, I just, I went kind of crazy on, on the call with the, like with my camera, you could see that I was freaking out with t thinking about the ending and the Williams score that, that played it. I, this was the first watch that I noticed that the ending was not, you know, we're in an idyllic Boston, you know, Boston as the safe haven for everybody. <laughs> um, but the, the fact that, yeah, that, that music hits. So like that, that underscore of like, it's, it's, um, like apprehensive, right? Like it's, we can't be too happy about this. Um, I, and I had like the classic, I don't know, uh, Reddit r slash you know crazy film theories of like what if robbie didn't actually like what if he's just imagining this like what if robbie didn't really come back all that sort of stuff was racing through my head but i feel i feel like i've talked enough i just wanted to to voice support for the the sort of um you know i don't know there's a lot going on in this movie but i, th I think we, paying closer attention to like where it ends up um and like mm -hmm. what we're supposed to take from the like the the closing act is is really important Harry, I assume you've got some really cogent thoughts to follow that up with. Can I interject with one thing that Cody made me think of? Yeah. Uh, the the people being vaporized and all, like, it, that could be a very exploitative, R-rating deserving moment. Uh, if it were played a little bit more exploitatively, obviously, like, they that happens and they run away and they get out of town. But instead, we have a short scene where he has to clean the, like, vaporized biomass of his neighbors and friends off of him in the bathroom in yeah. front of his children. And I'm like... That's that's the stuff. That's the stuff of this By movie the way, to me. Why were they vaporized all that good fertilizer? What was that all about? What did they have to like <laughs> reduce mass before they could go through? I don't know. That doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense to me, but it was really sick, especially the time when uh the woman's face gets vaporized right in front of the camera. <laughs> Oof. Uh 
I would just, I would, a couple of things to follow up on. First, I really like Abby's characterization of this ending as like a really, it's a loss of innocence narrative, right? It's like now the world is exposed to a world that's larger than humanity. And like the, the opening narration even couches it in like very explicit terms, right? Where Morgan Freeman uh, goes, like, we were so assured of our empire over this world. It's like he uses the word empire. Right. So it's like it's pretty clear and cogent with what it's communicating there. And yes, at the end, it's sort of like saying, like, now we have been exposed, the American people as sort of personified through Tom Cruise, but also the nation as personified through the soldiers and the, you know, the nation itself. Um, We have come up against this, like, larger piece of the world that is not so, like, centralized to our understanding that we can't really like it's operating on logics beyond our own from a history that's not our own and it's coming to conclusions that we can't fully understand and we can't affect those things with our own sort of understanding right so we are forced to sort of like take a step back and understand for maybe the first time that there are things operating outside of us it like america is not the center of the universe uh our understanding of family and of life is not the only understanding that exists. And now we are at a crossroads. Right. And I Mm -hmm. think that like coming to that really healthy understanding of um, like our smallness in the face of everything that's going on is a really good takeaway that I think this movie goes to great pains to sort of like suggest. Um, And just one, one more thing real quick is that Cody had said that like this, this takes place at a smaller scope, right? Because it's family sized. I really love how the movie plays with that. Right. I think Spielberg's camera, like it does such a good job of, of sort of like having its cake and eating it too in, in terms of humanizing the interpersonal and the family while also like creating an economy of scale that is so impressive. And he does it through like really classic filmmaking techniques where like one of my favorite things that this movie constantly does is Spielberg just zooms out. Which, first of all, like in 2023, to see a camera zoom out within one shot is a rarity uh, and a rarity that was really refreshing. But and in that zoom out, he's constantly revealing new information. Right. And sometimes information that completely changes the scene. I'm thinking of like when somebody holds the gun up to Tom Cruise's head or even like when Tom Cruise is running and we see the. um the plane that went down like a full 15 seconds before he realizes it, what it is. And so we get that moment of dramatic irony. Um, all of the like crowd shots in this movie do a really great job with that too. It like, it, it does such a great job of subverting the idea that this is just about this family by constantly sort of juxtaposing them with much, much larger things that are unfolding around them. And when you take into account the like larger theme of this movie that yes, like, your narrative matters like you are like a part of this world but there are other things happening all around you he communicates that so effectively uh visually and and through filmmaking techniques right with like all of the tracking shots and the zoom out shots and the um just the the classic filmmaking techniques that Spielberg is so good at like the camera moves so much in this movie right and it's like i couldn't get over how great those shots looked where it was like we're seeing the entire basement or we're seeing so much of the city and so much of the crowds and often within one shot where he's not afraid to sort of like let the camera move out and take several different perspectives within a single shot as opposed to like 
keeping subjectivity as close as as it often is. Um, and I really, really enjoyed how he takes such a layered approach to this to sort of thematically um, like represent this idea that like this is information that's unfolding to many people all at once and at many different layers all at once. Um, I think it does that tremendously effectively. Yeah, I uh, to, to address that track first, I think – Having this come in the series right after Children of Men, I think, is very informative because obviously the the, the, <laughs> the tracking shots in Children of Men are great. Like, you know, I, I'm not going to argue with that. I love Children of Men. But it is very, very funny to me that Spielberg was doing the exact same thing on a hyperbolically great, greater level a year prior. And everyone, there was no fanfare because everyone just takes it as for granted He's that just Spielberg, Spielberg is a god. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> like, like he, he just is the, the most talented director at blocking and moving a camera ever period and like we're, we're used to that so watching war of the worlds like it you have you have it's not until you start thinking about it that you're like wait holy shit this man is a, a master um relating also to your 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 track with the the whole like the the end of empire and freeman's narration um i think uh at freeman's narration at the very ending about you know this is it is it is our god-given uh, right to stay on this <laughs> earth and we've proved ourselves. I think that is the most bitterly ironic thing in the entire movie and I don't know how anyone reads it as being played straight. Like, you know, it's, it's again, the, the 9-11 track is sort of how the lessons that we should have learned from 9-11 were subsumed by, oh no, it's when our country came together and we really, you know, we it, it made us closer together and now we're gonna we're gonna take on this threat. Like, we, we didn't learn anything from this thing that had rocked the nation and here too, it's like, well, Millions and millions of people have died, but that just proves that it's our God-given right to live here. It's like, no, that is the fact that that is the best moral that you could take away from this is just absolutely crushing. And I think it is very deliberately done and it's not at all. It's the opposite of sentimental. I think that, again, it's Spielberg being much cleverer than (laughs) people give him credit for. Wow, that's an amazing point. Just to add to the kind of uh, positive pylon for, for Spielberg here, I mean, the 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 highway scene in this which is a again a tracking shot um it, i probably stitched together in some manner i mean the the camera is like moving in and out of the car is like it's so directly comparable to the the that driving scene in children of men but like i think i prefer it here which feels it's much kind of better religious to no, say it's better here dude it- I I, be- I didn't even notice it was a tracking shot until like halfway through that thing because spielberg is just like He's so less obvious about it. I think it has like kind of aged better in my mind than a lot of the stuff that's similar in Children of Men. And I, I think part of this is like Harry, you had mentioned this when you you uh, watched Children of Men and you, you reviewed it on Letterboxd. But like the the style of Children of Men has been like aped so much by I mean other movies, but also like video games. It has like very much been kind of the language of like how apocalypse and post apocalypse is like shot and like visually thought of um and like i appreciate that to a certain extent but like there is an extent also to where like you don't see the kind of stuff that spielberg is doing here because i don't think many people can imitate it in the same way that you can and like that's kind of rude to children of men and and quran as well but like i i you know like the highway scene here just does not feel as easily imitated um and i think the fact that spielberg as opposed to that shot in Children Men where the camera is kind of on the interior of the car and it kind of spins around, which I think is a pretty cool uh, device. This is like so much more filmic and just like classically Spielberg and the way that it is just moving around. It is dynamic. It is like it, it like kind of a celebration of 
of it's, cinema in this weird way, despite all the horrific things happening oh, yeah. uh, on screen. You go in and out of the cabin of the car. You like yes. zoom away from the car so that you can see all of the other cars like on the yes. highway along down the road. Room. Oh man! And all in one shot. It's like it's the perfect sort of visual metaphor for what this movie is doing, right? Because it's like it's going from the interpersonal to the um, nationwide to the global, and it's like drawing that direct comparison between all three of them. And the camera itself is doing. Doing that and it's doing that invisibly right like i think that the big difference here is that Caron's camera draws attention to itself right like for better or worse like that is what you're thinking about when you're seeing those scenes is like wow that's one shot right wow the the chaotic subjectivity of this scene is the point of this scene and wow i feel so intense here you don't think about the camera at all or at least you don't unless you're like thinking about recording it for a podcast but like yes it's like it's so smooth it's so natural and it's communicating so economically and so effectively everything like there's not like a wasted moment in this right it's just like everything is like giving you the information you need to have the emotional um like content that you're supposed to be receiving um it's it's a really amazing thing that he does and it it doesn't feel it, it, it just it also accomplishes all of this while, while not drawing attention to itself at all, in my opinion. Right. Like, I think that it's like the movie gets out of its own way so well in order to just communicate this like really, really visual story. I think a lot of that works so well for me. And I, I agree, like to view it. Wonderful. I, I, I think that a lot of that works for me specifically because of like the movie's sense of pacing and flow, like things pop off pretty early in the movie, if I remember correctly, like 10, 12, 15 minutes in before we've learned a whole lot about the dynamic or excuse me about the family itself. We learned the dynamics. Things are not good between Ray and his family. He's uh, sort of in bachelor mode a little bit, except when he's got the kids and he's not really responsible. His fridge is full of rotting food, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then once the plot kicks off with uh, the storm in the sky and the aliens starting to erupt from the earth, um, things like the story more or less kind of takes and I don't know if anybody else felt this or if I just felt like it was going kind of takes a pause and becomes more of like, I'm sorry, the plot itself takes more of a pause and it just becomes a story like driven by these road, like uh, road movie vignettes almost where like they're just encountering various symptoms of the invasion, the, you know, uh, trying to get out, you know, inland. They um, they're trying to uh, uh, just escape to Boston. They're trying to get down the highway. Um, just one thing after another. And what we're seeing instead of like things moving forward and then learning like, you know, traditional, traditional, excuse me, not traditional narrative, but like what I've become more accustomed to would be like act one problem, act two complication, act three, you know, challenge solution uh, sort of thing. And it doesn't really happen that way. It's not until very near the end. They even like one idea is thought up for how to stop them and it's to explode them from the inside. And then we realize that we didn't need to do that anyway. Um, and that I think is where the uh, what Harry's points about like all those, you know, really wonderful elements of craft of how things are moving and how they're really in sync with the themes of the movie, uh, how they just kind of wash over you, or at least did me. I, maybe I just didn't have the little feelers to pick up on them um, was because like, we are just stuck from the moment that things really pop off. Nobody's ready for that. The characters, the actors, the, excuse me, the characters or the, the audience, not really ready for those things to happen. So we're all just kind of catching up. We're all just in catch up mode from that point, from like the end of the first act all the way, almost through the end of the movie. Uh, and we're just sort of like wondering how not only he's going to survive the actual apocalypse going on around him, but how he's going to survive his, his freaking family. You know, I, I just, I really enjoyed how those things like worked in sync rather than 
I could predict exactly what was going to happen next. Um, I felt like I couldn't, and that was that was nice. Yeah, and I think part of the, I guess the the reason for that specific trajectory is because like that particular plotting works as well for you know like each successive vignette building upon itself and giving you a, a, like a greater understanding of this is what the world is like right now oh we're kind of away from everybody and then when we come back this is like the new development that took place it works as well um for something like that as it does for like each vignette playing into um uh, ray farrier's uh arc as well which i don't know if we want to talk more about tom cruise but like uh i think something is something else you said up top abby that really like got my wheels churning was how this is one of the like la- like one of the last instances i can think of of tom cruise as like a vulnerable man um and he becomes like pretty indestructible uh, i think in like the later franchises he he opts into you know in most recent years of like mission impossible jack reacher that sort of stuff um like the movie kind of starting out um like i, I tough for me to i guess i don't know i had trouble getting a good read of like the what the movie thinks about um ray farrier early on because like he's coming from a a, like a very blue collar and it seemed like he was working overnight and then his family was giving him the business for like instead of being home at like 8 a.m after working all night at you know at at, at the docks um he got there like 8 30 which we don't really know what his mileage is as a father before that point so it's kind of and like we learn more about that and things begin to fall into place and he's clearly just like i think we can do some math on it right we can do some math on his mileage as a father before that probably (laughs) Maybe I mean before because the first the first scene of the movie well, who is doesn't know his work. daughter is allergic to peanut butter. I mean I'm right. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. Later yes. on, the pieces begin to fall into place. Right. That's and everything. It's it's him, him being. I guess like it is, and especially when you get into the third act proper, where it's like precocious Dakota Fanning being like a child adult, and Tom Cruise being uh, a man baby, and then they sort of meet, you know, they they meet somewhere in the middle, and they he especially learns and grows. Um, seeing that um, from old Tommy Boy after like so long, you know, not for nothing, I, I love Mission Impossible, but like, I don't know, getting getting this flavor of him uh, was, um, I don't know, it, it was nice. I don't know. Harry, what'd you think about uh, the big TC? Oh, I, yeah, I love it. I think Abby characterized it really well, but I would just like emphasize that I think that it's it's almost like, it. this is a too pejorative a term, but it's stunt casting, right? Like this is a movie about tearing down your idols and like Tom Cruise is like the last movie star. Right. It's like, here's a guy who, like, we know as this indestructible, hyper charismatic guy. Ray is set up that way. Right. Ray is this guy who literally laughs at danger. Right. Like when it gets started, when the lightning's coming down, he's doing the Tom Cruise smile that we all know and maybe love. He's talking about how it's kind of funny, like the Fourth of July, even when um, when the uh, alien first emerges, he's kind of taking the Robbie approach of I've got to see this. Right. Like he runs up. He's kind of smiling. He's like, wow, what's going on? This is so exciting. Almost. Right. Um, And that is like this movie reveals in this very subversive way that that is a that bravado is a mask to hide the wounded animal within right like the guy who is afraid because he knows he can't control what he wants to control um and as a metaphor for like the american condition holy shit is that effective and holy shit is it effective to leverage tom cruise himself to do it right it's like hey like this is this is spielberg being like like you, you could have cast young Harrison Ford here, right? Except that Indiana Jones is more mortal than Tom Cruise is, so that wouldn't yes. even really work out. But 
it's all about this sort of like idea that like, oh, the, the American everyman and the, uh, this notion that the American everyman is going to be all right. And that in fact, like is protected and sort of plot armored, uh, by history itself. Like we're going to strip that down, right? We're going to show Tom Cruise, the immortal like movie star. We're going to show him crying bitter tears, like angry tears, tears of, um, frustration and despair at multiple points in this movie. Right. And at the end of the movie, like, is he going to like win? No, not really. Like it turns out that the earth kind of does it for him. And in fact, like we're going to do that great ironic, um, point that, uh, Abby made about Morgan Freeman's, um, uh, narration, which, uh, this is my last point for now, but, uh, it's also that narration is so funny because they're like, well, humans have been here forever, but it's like, literally they said earlier in the movie, the aliens got here first, like literally their pods had been underground since before humanity existed. So it's like, all right, like <laughs> even that is like complete bullshit. Right. Uh, I, I really love that, that point that they keep bringing up. And also the point that like, Tim Robbins' character is such a funny literalization of that metaphor in that, like, he is first the guy that tells Tom Cruise that he can't succumb to this sort of, like, hysteria. And then he he ends up finding out that the aliens were under him all the time. And his solution is to literally try to dig deeper. He's like, I'm going to go under where they were, and that will give me the advantage that I can hold over them. It's like a kind of a really um, bitter sort of, like, uh, piss take on America's response to uh, 9-11 in a lot of ways. Do we, uh, regarding Tom Cruise specifically, do we think that maybe we will see a resurgence in kind of Cruise doing traditional acting? Because I've kind of viewed the last decade or so from, I guess, his, his 50s, essentially. I think he's, he's 60 now. Um, I've kind of viewed it as like him kind of grasping on to uh like being a very physical action star in a yeah. way that like kind yeah, of in, ever since ghost protocol we're in like he's like yeah i can like, shoot like three you know i can shoot like a film a year realistically with like what i'm doing in these movies i'm gonna kick the shit on myself every time uh at a certain point i will not be able to be to do mission impossibles anymore and there is no you know fucking whoever i've tried to set up as like a successor clearly is not worked worked out I do wonder if we're going to get like old man Cruz kind of coming through and like doing some interesting acting choices when he can no longer like jump out of planes and stuff, man. But also he's still jumping out of planes and stuff. So maybe yeah, we I, have like another five years of that. I genuinely don't know if he knows how to be normal anymore. Like, especially cause like he's talked yeah. about like the stuff he wants to do with Chris McQuarrie after mission impossible. And it's all action shit. It's like the movie in space or this hard R like action thriller. Like, um, someone on Twitter made an interesting point recently I saw where they were like, uh, we might have gotten to a place where Spielberg and Cruz need each other again because Cruz has to complicate his persona again, but he can't do that in just like a straight drama because he doesn't know how to anymore. And Spielberg is at the point where he can make really great straight drama like the fable ones, but also no one's they gonna flop. go see it. Yeah, That's right. so like Spielberg needs Cruz for spectacle, Cruz needs Spielberg for humanity. What if they came back together after two decades of hating each other because Cruz went insane on the press tour for War of the Worlds? Gotta bring it home, War of the Worlds like 2, that. baby. Hell yeah. I, let's go. Yes. I, I would I would love that. I would love a a Spielberg Cruz uh uh resurgence. Uh, I do wonder one more I do time. wonder, like you say, Aaron, if he's too like is the whole I'm an old guy doing an action movie thing, is that too new for us to see that within a reasonable amount of time? Like will he just give up I, after he's done I mean, there's, with the there's action? There's still thing? old guys doing action movies, they just 
edit around like you you know Liam Neeson still puts out action movies they just edit around the action See, shit that's sure, exactly like Tom Cruise does not do he does but, not do that he will not do that you know yeah but that's the it's thing like if he cannot that- climb over that fence if they need six shots to, of him climbing over a fence in order to edit it together he just will not climb over that fence you know like he he will just I mean that's what it feels like right um I, yeah I don't know man maybe i'm just too pessimistic i totally just see Cruz doing like logan shit just sort of like the idea is that he's an old man but being an old man doesn't really have any like you know what i mean i don't know just sort of like making sort of like edgy old man action movies but we'll see uh i would love to see him do something with spielberg again that's for sure um one other actor we should shout out there's like a little baby dakota fanning in this movie um and she's really good i thought which is wild uh maybe because like i think that like spielberg takes a lot of heat for the whole precocious child thing and like i don't totally disagree but i don't dislike it necessarily either but i think she does such a great job of like being a kid in this movie in that like in the first act she's like precocious enough without being too precocious and she's kind of like this like mother figure kind of to tom cruise's character or at one point he's like what are you your mother or mine uh, and that's kind of a funny line and, and she's sort of like reminding him how to take care of her but then like when shit hits the fan she like believes very like she behaves very um believably as a child yeah. would um and she manages to do both without making either of them feel at all like maudlin or unrealistic in my mind like even the like the kind of thing where, like, they do the the claustrophobia thing and uh, Robbie, like, walks her through her little, like, even that felt real to me, which is kind of wild because that scene in movies never feels real to me, right? It always feels like this affected thing. And here, maybe it's just because they didn't dwell on it or because of everything else that was happening or because of Dakota Fanning. Like, it worked for me in a way that that, like, really surprised me, I guess. No, totally. And I mean, just to quickly like voice support for that, I agree, like revisiting um, this movie so many years later, like I think um, Dakota Fanning in this, like it is, and it it does come at a time of probably like peak because she was like well known enough at this time. Um, And I think with like a lot of other precocious-y, like leaning child performances, child actor performances, there's that element of like you need overacting in order to sell like whatever sentiment is being uh conveyed which does not happen here it's more of like almost like like deadpan but it, not to not to the extent where like Dakota Fanning opposite um Brittany Murphy and Uptown Girls where it's just like quips back and forth back and forth of like a, a deadpan like young Dakota Fanning which kind of gets a, a little grating but like the deadpan and sort of subdued um like um like vocalized emotion amongst all the other stuff that's going on um or like her like like just acting like capital a acting like she's acting dramatically she's like throwing out like in the you know early half as things are, are going to shit like she's um ecstatic she's uh like funny you know um yeah, I don't know. I, I like I, I thought it worked super well and it was I don't know, like like a refreshing I don't know, a refreshing performance, refreshing flavor alongside alongside um Tom Cruise, who is also a, you know, again, like a, a man baby in this movie. I, I thought it was the right mix. Yeah, and to the writing's credit, I think it maybe is primarily Tom Cruise and Dakota Fanning's chemistry, but like I think that Spielberg hits on a really good balance here or a, a really believable sort of um response. 
which like believable responses is kind of like this movie's whole deal, right? In a, in a really cool way. But like, I love that. Like when Tom Cruise is back is against the wall in the first act, he like kind of defaults to this, like very, uh, parental hierarchy where he's just dismissive of the kids right he's like not he's not like uh like when she asks questions she never he never responds like i don't know or like uh like he just says like stop asking so many questions right he tells her to shut up at one point he's sort of like i'm in charge here you're gonna listen to me that's the end of the story and that hierarchy sort of breaks down as tom cruise can admit to himself that he's just as out of his depth as the children are right like there is this this notion that he has throughout the beginning of this movie that like because he's an adult because he's more equipped to handle this he is like he's better off than the children are in this situation and that erodes and it sort of equalizes them and then like there was a big moment at the end of the movie that's barely made anything of but i really loved it where uh dakota fatting asks him a question she's like why is this happening and he's just like i don't know like i i have no idea what's going on right and it's like that was like a breakthrough for me it was like wow like the dad actually admitted that like he doesn't know what the hell's going on and he's scared right um and before he could only admit he was scared in like the privacy of tim robbins basement or something right and like i really liked that sort of like again that the sort of like healthy response right where it's like oh like you have to like be realistic and and true about like what's happening and what you can and can't do about it um i really enjoyed that yeah, there's like, there's like this tension in him throughout the well up until like things really go south. That maybe he's somebody who thought that he could eventually mend uh, fences with his family, that he could eventually make things better, and he just has not. And there's sort of, there's sort of that bravado that tells him eventually he could, and it becomes pretty clear once things really uh, get sour that he can't that like that's not really what the movie is going to be about it's not going to be about him fixing things with his family it's going to be him adapting it's going to be him letting go of his son it's going to be him like sort of learning from and teaching his daughter at the same time she is she does a lot of growing up even though she starts out pretty precocious and like preteen sassy she does a lot of growing up by the time that they're you know hunkered in that uh, bunker um it, it just to i guess to echo your your praise of it i think it's a really strong um development again while, while the plot is sort of like just moving from disaster to disaster we're instead seeing these characters working uh, the private yeah d- down in tim robbins basement they have time to like f- connect but they're not really connecting like th- there's nothing that's going to really be fixed there they can only move forward through it they can only adapt to the situation rather than like make it what they want to be which is a better relationship i guess yeah and your your whole point about uh parental hierarchy i think gets to the heart of the most annoying critique of this movie which was prevalent at the time of its release in 2005 and has persisted across uh years of reddit comments echoing opinions they heard somewhere else and they thought makes them sound smart which is people who are like yeah the movie is pretty good but dakota fanning is screaming way too much and is so annoying um to which i ask well what would you do if you were a nine-year-old in the middle of the end of the world like it's just this 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 smug inability to reckon with the fact that if you were in the situation it doesn't matter if you've worked out this zombie apocalypse fantasy in your head you're going to be terrified (laughs) and not being able to handle it yeah and I, just yeah. this, this inability to admit weakness, even when you're just commenting on a fucking movie, is that, just the, the really mo- baffling to and me. It, it's but, insane but like, that the take is stuck around so long. Yeah. Right, but it's kind of the perfect take in that it proves the point of the movie, right? Where it's like, you're never going to learn. Like, this is like the, the point of the movie is that even Tom Cruise isn't Tom Cruise. Like, you won't have everything under control because, like, your country and your church and your dad told you that you're the main character and you're always going to survive this shit no matter what. Because even the main character is not the main character. He's just a scared guy, right? Like, that's the point of this movie. And so it's so funny that, like, 
all of these people like heard Morgan Freeman's uh, narration at the end and they were like, fuck yeah, like <laughs> America, like I'm Tim Robbins, right? Like occupations never succeed. History taught us that, says Tim Robbins in like citizen of the most famous successful occupation in the yeah. history of the world. Uh, and it's, it's like, it, it really is sort of like, man, it's, it's like the, uh, the fight club sort of like critique, right. Where it's like, like in, in some ways, like the fact that they didn't get it is the movie's point at a certain point. I also do. I kind of feel like the, the Dakota fanning criticisms kind of get bundled in with, and maybe this is just what I've seen, but I, I see a lot of people refer to like the third act is the weak part of this movie, which is like everything after Tom Cruise grenades, uh, the tripod. And then like they return, they arrive at Boston and the aliens are dying. And uh, you know, the military shows up and, and kind of RPGs one of the tripods. And then there's the final kind of uh, you know uh, scene there um, that that's like 10 minutes. It's like 10 minutes of movie, and all I've seen is people complaining about the third act of this movie changing tone and how much they don't like it, and, and like it's it's like literally like 10, maybe 12 minutes of movie. Like, am I, am I, I feel like I'm taking crazy I mean, pills are, here. Are, are you just saying that people should just like ignore those last 10 minutes if they don't I like don't them? Or? But the, the <laughs> idea that it's like this giant stretch, like it's like 45 minutes, oh, um, yeah. unless people are including the Tim Robbins stuff, which like that, that those set of scenes are That's amazing. some of the strongest. I, I mean, love yeah. that whole sequence, right? Um, which I, another thing so, is like. It's so Spielberg yeah, playing, ahead. it's Spielberg playing the hits, which I love so much, but it's like, hey, like, yeah. I can do the Jurassic Park raptor sequence even better now. <laughs> and it's like, yes. fuck yeah, you can, Spielberg. Like, go off, King. Oh, yeah. No, those sequences rock. Also, like, I wonder if people are conflating that with the, like, anticlimax of the ending where they think, like, the day ex machina sure. idea that the aliens yep. are just killed. But, like, to me, that anticlimax is so part and parcel with the point of the whole movie, right? Which is that, like, no, you like you don't succeed. Like, even if you get away with it this time, right? It's not because you figured it out, right? It's not because you beat the aliens. It's because, like, something else happened, right? But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I even really love the sequence where he blows up the alien at the end with the shield. I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, when, when all of I, the refugees work together, like, maybe you could make the point that that's, like, that's a little bit sentimental, but like when he spits out all of the, the grenade pins, because it turns out that he, he managed to like pull them out. Like, come on, that stuff, that stuff kicks ass. I don't it's, know. It's, it's kind of wild that we've been talking about this movie for like 53 minutes and we have not, we've not really talked about the Tim Robbins stuff. We have not really talked about the fairy sequence. We haven't talked about the, the jet airliner that crashes outside of their house. Like oh, those man. are some of, in my mind, like the most spectacular, like some of the best imagery around, you know, uh, apocalypse, disaster, invasion, what you, whatever you want to call it. That's like some of the best ever, like period. Yeah. And oh, absolutely. I think this movie is like kind of an, an embarrassment of riches and like how much good stuff there there is in here um, yeah uh this is yeah. a semi-unrelated point but like uh just maybe the the bitterest or one of the bitterest jokes in this very bitter movie is that like news team that arrives on the scene of that downed um plane and and they're like hey like oh one of them has gone deaf uh and the camera saved his life as a as a fluke but they're still gonna keep on the trail of the stories and then tom cruise comes up to the van and, and he's like she's like were you on that plane and he's like, no, I, I wasn't. I just arrived here. And she's like, oh, that that's a shame. It would have been a great story. And then they just leave him behind. Uh, it's like yeah. the perfect sort of like, man, it was rules. Spielberg like angry about 
a lot of things that were happening in America when he made this movie. Did you, that reminds me of maybe my, uh, this is a bad movie, but the the joke from Scary Movie 3 that was making fun of War of the Worlds, where the newscaster is showing uh, after the alien invasion, like, uh, you know, an image of a city smoking, and she's like, oh, this is an image of Detroit. And then she clicks, and now there's a tripod walking around. She's like, this is Detroit after the attack. That is a mm, <laughs> classic, classic bit in that, not I'm sure, not very funny movie that I watched too much as a kid. Why three? Um, yeah, some of the best set pieces ever, huh? Like, boy, that that um, the the fairy sequence in particular, when all the cars start slipping, I was like freaking out. Even now, like, oh my god, is there a lot of scary shit that goes down yeah, in this movie? The, the part where one of the cars slides right into them and actually starts yes. dragging them down to the bottom of the of the river. That, holy shit! And Spielberg, like, it's almost, I can see sort of like, um, it's sort of like in, uh, I think, one criticism that I maybe agree with a tiny bit more, but not really, uh, in some other Spielberg movies, is that, like, there are moments of cruelty in them that feel sort of, like, out of tone, uh, where, like, somebody will die in, like, an Indiana Jones, for instance, in a way that is, like, so gratuitous that it's sort of like, what the fuck, right? Um, I loved that there are moments like that in in this movie too that that work really well. But like like when um when the cars slip off of the the ferry and like Spielberg makes sure to show us that there are people inside those cars as they are going down that are drowning. And there are moments like Horrifying. that where it's just like, oh my god, like this is a horror movie, right? Like like there are yeah. moments that that are like straight up like set piece horror um, right when, but it, when it works when so Dakota, well when rachel is uh going to the river to go pee and she sees one body and then just in like 50 bodies floating down the river inexplicable based on how they've been dying so far but like yeah it is straight yeah, up what the hell like times. they were all vaporized so what are those bodies uh what oh, am they, I, they kill I'm people in a lot of ways you know that's fair yeah. i mean and also just like debris and shit flying everywhere i guess uh i like a mass suicide oh wow oh, god yeah that that's really great oh, maybe even darker great there point, we go Abby. also <laughs> thanks <laughs> Abby. great apparently thanks. several of those mannequins by the way escaped and the film crew had to just contact all the police stations in the area oh, being like no. if you see bodies floating down the river those are ours please return awesome. them to us unless it's a real body in which case do be concerned about that get that that's also, I, I love the use of the verb escaped because I'm like, wait, were the mannequins alive? <laughs> yes. Uh, but were we are, we are the tripods as far as the mannequins <laughs> that's are That's true. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Makes you think. Um, another one of my favorite horror images is when um, just like, I, again, in general, like Spielberg, absolute god of sort of like coming up with like almost comic book panels. But like when the uh, when Tom Cruise and Dakota Fanning look up after the abductions happened and they're just clothes falling like drifting down from the sky uh from the people that were taken Ooh, is that some good stuff uh man lots of really great captivating imagery and horror imagery and i love that like spielberg does not feel the need to sort of like um apologize for any of that right or sort of like like you had said abby that this is so apocalyptic and i think it lives in moments like that right where he's just like i am thinking of all of the sort of like things that i want to see in this movie and i'm going to put them in this movie right like there are so many shots that were clearly just sort of like or even sequences right like the sequence with the uh the people attacking the car that's just sort of like wow what in again like you had said aaron like an embarrassment of riches about like Oh man, like how many set pieces can I cram into this thing? Right? Forgot about that fucking scene. That seems amazing. Great. Scene. It's incredible. Yes. Yeah. 
And also, like, uh, this is a, a tangent that I'll be real quick, maybe just because Last of Us is coming out literally today. But, like, I love that that scene makes humans the bad guys without making the point of the movie that humans are the real monsters, <laughs> right? Like, I love that this movie can be like, hey, like, scared mobs are really scary and often people die. And it even goes so far as to say, like, introducing guns to that is a bad idea without saying, like, oh, humanity was just waiting for an opportunity to turn on itself, right? Which is, like, such a common apocalyptic sort of, like, takeaway. And it's so, uh, like, unhelpful, I guess, and not actually insightful. And I love that this movie kind of eschews that as well. Uh, speaking of imagery and uh, stuff that stuck with you, shots and whatnot um if you're a regular listener to the show you maybe follow us on twitter and you notice that uh, every episode goes out with a with a bespoke tweet the vast majority of which we create ourselves um very few i phone in uh once in a while you would never be able to tell the difference um and that is why i want to pull the group uh, in a new little tiny segment which might die with this episode we'll see uh about uh your favorite shots from this movie i'm going to call it good grief give me a gif um but if you don't want to call it that you don't have to oh, that's good thanks that's, that's very good. good so yeah. uh, you pronounced so, jeff wrong but other than that it's pretty all right Jim- Give a grief, jingle. Give me a. I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I, I came up with this. I came up with this bit this morning. So I'll come up. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll write a bit. I'll Once again, outsourcing jingles. labor to the other members of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, wow. So I'll, I'll start. Yeah. In- yeah. The division of labor is really unfair. Jason doesn't do enough <laughs> for this podcast. Hey. <laughs> it, could, yeah, sorry, continue, it, could, it could be more egalitarian. Um, we have. Uh, I guess Cody is at like uh, at at eleven noon on my clockwise. Um, uh, uh, Zencaster screen. So I'll start with Cody and go from Cody to Harry to Aaron to Abby. Uh, shot you would write like, what's the one shot that's like, if I think about this movie, if I saw this on Twitter, I would. I guess I'm mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just trying to uh, uh, whore it out for you guys to say what's going to get us the most attention. Good grief, give me a gift, Cody. Yeah, good grief indeed. Uh, I was going to bring up this uh shot in all likelihood, even without this um this segment which hey we'll we'll see if it lives on i hope it does i i, I like the focus on on visual stuff um and putting a finer point on it uh the um uh, we we're i guess in recent exchanges here like the talk of the visuals getting to the the boats the fairy sequence there's a shot from this movie that um even when i haven't been watching this movie like super often and revisiting it i think about this shot pretty frequently where it's the the tripod is is on the hill like they spot it on the hill the crowd of people by the ferry sees it on the hill and then it becomes like um extra long shot however you want to characterize it where on the left hand side of the frame the tripod is on the hill and then sort of in the foreground a little more in the foreground towards the right we see the ferry and the crowd of people like looking up at it just like a really beautiful image like i could hang that fucking sucker on my wall uh and i mean it'd be pretty scary so maybe maybe not i'm I'm a huge scaredy cat baby but um really cool looking shot um and i think like still still looks great to right. to this day like revisiting this it's such a beautifully composed image and a strong encapsulation of the movie at large uh and its themes of or it's it's like marrying of the 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 tropes that you've become used to and sort of the like real how that plays out uh that the large scale and the small scale um Harry, did you have a shot? You mentioned one yeah. early on. Uh, yeah, I, I, we already mentioned that. I think the bodies floating would be a really evocative one. Um, I thought of a bunch because this is maybe the most jiffable movie ever, uh, just because of how clear the camera is. Um, I, I think maybe my favorite sequence is that is around eighty four minutes. The um, the boot sequence where like Tom Cruise puts up a mirror to try to fool 
the uh, tripod camera. It works at first. Then uh, I think maybe Dakota Fanning's boot slides out. The camera like sees it and turns toward it. Uh, they like put it away real quick. They go looking for it. And then the, the camera rounds the corner and uh, they had gotten away and they just left the boot behind. Uh, that like took about as long like in real time as it took me to describe it. Um, and there are a bunch of shots in there that are just fucking amazing. Uh, and I really love that. The other one is just uh, that moment when all of a sudden out of nowhere, the tripod camera does spot Dakota Fanning and we see her scream and her scream. Like we see it through the reflection on the tripod camera. Like uh, Spielberg's camera is behind Dakota Fanning's head and we see her reflection on the tripod, just vintage Spielberg shit, right? Just yeah. like, Ooh, is that some good stuff? So Top of his craft. Um, both of those would be, would be really great. I think. I think so too. Uh, I'm not going to declare a winner here because I need to make them first, but you'll know when goes out when it goes out. Uh, Aaron, give me a good, good grief, man. Uh, the, the, I think objectively correct answer here is the shot of the tripod rising out of the water behind the, the boat behind the ferry. The camera is like moving parallel to the ferry. Oh, the and first the, time we see it like in, in close and up, huge. you see the membranous face of it and stuff. Um, yeah. Maybe. I don't know if we're talking about the same shot. It's like but the it's Godzilla like right... moment where he starts, where it's just like, oh, the immense scale is very clear next to this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is incredible. That's my favorite shot in the movie. Yeah. Good grief. Uh, Abby, do you have one in mind? Do you have a shot that you really loved from this movie that sort of seals it all up? Yeah, so my joke answer is going to be Tom Cruise hurling the peanut butter sandwiches at the window. Yes, yes. Um, that was going to be mine. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> just absolute <laughs> classic moment. Um, <laughs> As far as actual answers, obviously the bridge destruction scene is really good, but I'm going to go a little different and say that just the, for whatever reason, the visual of the church ripping itself apart while Tom Cruise watches in that first set piece is really, really striking and unsettling and skin crawling in a way that really has stayed with me. Like we're not supposed to see uh, the anatomy of how buildings work, like oh, revealed man. in a cross section that way. Uh, and just seeing it really just makes my skin crawl. And so that it, is the one that I'm proposing. That is such a good shot too, because like the front starts to pull off like a, like a mask and you actually see the stained glass on the other end of the building from within sort of shining into the building. So everything else is remained in place, but we've just like cross section this building. Very good shot. It's, it's like they skinned the church, right? It's like, there's <laughs> something very creepy about the particularity of the way it looks. It is. It is. Um, also, Abby, I'm assuming you did a, like you have already pulled out a bunch of fun facts about this movie uh, and it's and it's making. Did you see the fun fact about who is in that church scene in just a one off? I did not see that. I did. You did. Uh, okay, so well, should, uh, the cut. We, I think it's get, cut. Yes. There's yeah. There's just one. Is it not in the actual film? Anyway, uh, uh, the, yes, it's a there, cut there's, scene. There's, Assuming there's we're talking about the same thing. Who did get very popular and is a known actor who is in just one shot of that movie as like person in background. Uh, does anybody have a guess? I guess Cody and Aaron, you guys both know or. Yes. Okay. So Cody and Aaron both know Harry and Abby. Do you have any guesses? <laughs> just top of your head. <laughs> I mean, uh, not really. I mean, this is <laughs> just Harry. Played a, played a stripper. Hey. Maybe <laughs> you just made it a lot easier. Channing Tatum yes. is in that fucking scene. <laughs> oh my god! He's like 24, oh 25 years old. There are like, uh, you know, screenshots of of the movie on YouTube where you can see him, and it's just like a second 
of him in the background with a cap on. But that was his one of his first film roles. He uh, was dancing. Magic Mike had been able to strip from the tripods. It would have gone down. <laughs> that's right. Their shields would have dropped immediately. Uh, well, that is uh, that's our new segment. Get ready for more. I liked that uh, because it was my segment. Uh, Good grief, man. Give me a gift. We have. Um, well, I mean, find out what we use. Uh, but we have another segment that we end the show with. Uh, Abby, I forget. Did you help us sing this one last time? Could you help us out with a couple of bars of, of Cody's noties? If I'm doing it solo, no. If I'm doing it with you, oh, yes. Oh, no. It's, it's, I forgot no, how no, it's no nice solos. triple harmony, but Harry needs to give us the, the end. Yes, thank you. Uh, you already introduced Excellent. the segment. It is the segment that we like to call... <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties! Wow. Thank you for that. I think the only way that that intro could have been better is if there was a, a like an, an awkward short appearance by Lord of the Rings as Miranda Otto. Um, but I think for for what it was, that was a really good introduction. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> what? That's um, the most toady joke I've ever heard. <laughs> well, um, that's where I've seen is. her, dude. Oh, man. Thank you. I really appreciate that, actually. Yeah, you're welcome. That's yeah, that's another that's another fun fact. Um, and hopefully this last segment will be fun. Today we're going to take some time to celebrate ensembles of blockbusters past in a little segment I like to call Tom's Cruise. Tom's Cruise. So what I've done is I've combed the filmography of Tom Cruise for a list of some notable acting ensembles from some of his films. What I'm going to do is run through each ensemble, reading one actor name at a time. Uh, as I'm reading off names, if you think you know what film corresponds to the list of actors I'm floating out there, um, go ahead and, and raise your little Zencaster hand, uh, and I will, I'll be on the lookout for those. Once I see a hand raised, I'll stop reading, I'll call on you, and if you're correct, hey, you get a point. Uh, and if you're not correct, we'll keep going until someone can get it right. Um, each person will only get one guess per film, so use that guess wisely, and then the person with the most points at the end will, wait for it, the win. Uh, as you probably could have guessed. As always, Trivia Mafia rules apply here, so reminder, use your noodles, not your Googles. Any questions before we hop in? Everybody understands what we're getting into with Tom's Cruise? But the actors of the cast... What have we done? Uh, Makes you think. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. With that, peanut gallery over here, I'm going to start with this first film. So get, get your hands at the ready. I'm going to line up this stupid Zencaster feed, which leaks into, okay. I think I've got everybody here. So first film, we've got Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg. I'm going to pause. I saw Jason's hand and then Abby's. Uh, so uh, both of you will get the opportunity to guess Jason. You first, uh, what, uh, what film are, are we describing here? I'm going to say that this is mission impossible. I uh, forget which one comes first. Recognition or ghost protocol. ghost protocol. Guess is ghost protocol. Ghost protocol is not it. Shit. Chief. So, uh, Jason is that, um, Abby, I saw your hand up. Would you, uh, are you, are you guessing or are we, are we holding pad here? I haven't thought this far into how the, what the rule logic should be. Um, but I'm seeing yeah, a lot of hands up. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll get can to I you retract next. my hand until I've heard one more actor or am I committed now? <laughs> Um, I will allow the retracting. Um, I see other hands up and, uh, was it Harry and then Aaron or did I get that? I put mine up and then maybe put mine down. I think I put mine down because I was being counted, but I, Aaron can go first. Yeah. Uh, No, I mean, I'd I'd be happy to, I'll guess. Can I guess? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. I think it's Mission Impossible 3 introduces Simon Pegg. 
Mission Impossible 3 is the guest. Mission Impossible 3 is it. That is Shit. the film. So, God damn it. Uh, that's what I was going to anyway, say. And then so I was like, I nope, have... you should be more confident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's – so I'll just – for the fun of it, I'll read the full slate of, uh, of, of actors that I would have had noted. So Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg. Michelle Monaghan, and at this point you're thinking, oh, there's still a few different options. Uh, and then Eddie Marsan, Carrie Russell, Billy Crudup, Lawrence Fishburne, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And that is, yes, 2006's Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> so Harry gets... Go ahead. Hey, how was... <laughs> sorry, real quick, how did J.J. Abrams get Philip Seymour Hoffman and still direct the worst Mission Impossible? That guy's lack of talent is just incredible. <laughs> Another fun fact, J.J. Abrams also wrote War of the Worlds and then wasn't able to do it because he was writing The Lost Pilot. Oh my so, god! Yeah. He, he got asked to, yeah, yeah. Wow! Um, uh, and fucking Spielberg it, filled in? Oh my god, Abrams has got to feel so shitty. No, not that. direct. He, Abrams oh. got asked to, to write the, the first initial pass through the script. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But he didn't, so... Uh, I, I have a hey, Cody. What if, what if, what if the the bit for this uh, uh, trivia uh, game here was instead of acting, uh, instead of asking about actors, you just started asking about like sound mixers and like boom mic editors, the, the you know, caterers. boom mic operators yeah. and shit. <laughs> yes, you just the most obscure parts of IMDb no one knows about. Yeah. Well, something to think about for next time. It it is something to think about. I also, I mean, I'm excluding. I mean, there are even some of these ensembles where I'm like. I don't know if the people here will get those. There are some weird, there are some like the non-franchise entries of Tom Cruise's filmography. It's like, good luck. Um, we'll, we'll see how these next ones go. Well, even with uh, this second one here, let's, let's see how this one sits. Um, the number I landed on for these, by the way, I've got seven of these movies. Um, odd numbers are fun, but we've got seven of them. I'll uh, say less. The sec- uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, the second one of, of seven. So I'll just kick us off here. We've got Patton Oswalt. Alfred Molina, Julianne Moore. I saw that was an accident. Abby bo- goes first. I was going to say, what's with the footing of hands and putting them down? Abby, uh, you will get first guess here. Magnolia. Magnolia is the guess. Magnolia is indeed the film being described. That is a point for Abby. Uh, yes, including those folks, we've got um, Camera Warrior, left uh, uh, Julianne Moore, William H Macy, Luis Guzman, John C Riley, and Philip Seymour Hoffman making another appearance uh, in one of Tom's crews. So that's uh, that's kind of fun. So we've got points on the board for both Abby and Harry. Still very much anybody's game, and that is how it is. I'm trying to say it different each time, and I'm running out of ways. Uh, but we are not running out of Tom Cruise films. So we're going to keep going here. The third film we've got Tim Robbins. Meg Ryan, Tom Skerritt. Uh, I've got Abby. Abby, what's the guess? Top Gun. Top Gun from 1986, also co-starring Michael Ironside and Val Kilmer. That is another point for Abby, taking a commanding lead with two points to one point to zero to zero. Um, moving right along here to movie number four. We've got <clears throat> Tilda Swinton. Timothy Spall, Michael Shannon, Jason Lee, Kurt Russell, Cameron Diaz. I saw Aaron and then Abby and then Harry. Aaron, you first. Is this uh, day and night? (laughs) It is not day and night. Good guess. 
Good guess. Uh, not hmm. day and night. Uh, Abby, you, Abby, you are next, and then Harry. If Abby doesn't, is it, it night and day? It is not night and day. <laughs> okay, <laughs> for <your> guess. <laughs> I was going to be really upset if it was night. Day and, yeah. Anyway, um, Harry, would you like to still venture? I your guess, guess this is just a shot in the dark at this point. Uh, Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky, Cameron Crowe's masterpiece. Uh, I'm only saying that half sarcastically. From 2001, the only other name I had on the docket was Penelope Cruz, and then I would have given year of release. Uh, so that is a, a correct guess. And Harry's second point, we got three more here on the docket. Uh, and so this next one, we're going to start with Bill Hader. <laughs> Abby with the hand. Abby, what's the guess? Is it Tropic Thunder? Tropic Thunder! Uh, ding, ding, ding. Uh, wait, Bill, Bill Hader, Hader is Dan- in that movie? Bill Hader, Danny McBride, Matthew McConaughey, Nick Nolte, Jack Black, Robert Downey Jr., Ben Staler in the year of our Lord, 2008. Maybe, is... maybe my second favorite Tom Cruise performance after this one. <laughs> Interesting. Not, not bad. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie in absolute shambles, but that's okay. Uh, we've got, we've got two more movies here. We've got a tight race here. Uh, at least between Abby and Harry, it is uh, three to two, respectively. Um, would love to see the elef- uh, other fellas get on the board here. Um, you and me both, got, man. We've got two more, um, and, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start reading them now. We've got Kevin Bacon, Kiefer Sutherland, uh, Abby with the hand. Abby, what's your guess? Uh, a few good men. A Few Good Men from 1992. Kevin Bacon, Kiefer Sutherland. I almost considered putting Cuba, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. first because I feel like he's more known for Jerry Maguire, but I, I put him in third year. And then Demi Moore. And then if we got this far, I was going to lean in close to the mic and say Jack Nicholson. And then hopefully somebody would have gotten it uh, by then. But that is uh, a correct guess. A Few Good Men. Uh, Abby's much better fun- at this than I am. Where's your proof? It's- Better than all of us, I think. Easily. Well, that's implied because I'm much better at this <laughs> yeah. than you are. It's this oh. is gonna go this is going into the hallowed halls of just triumphant guest noties mopping the floor situations. We don't get too many of them. A lot of great guests, uh, but the noties are, are sometimes kind of a crapshoot. We do have one more here, just you know, for the fun of it. So I'll read uh, read off this ensemble, this crew, if you will, one by one. We've got Nathan Lane. Gwyneth Paltrow, Danny DeVito, John Travolta, Britney Spears, Harry with the hand. Harry, oh, what you guess? Oh shit! What is the name of that rock opera thing that they did? I don't know. I don't know what it's called. I thought I would I think, think it's of Rock of Ages. I, just well, say, yeah, you didn't put up your fucking hand. No, no I'm just letting well, him know. He's his guess. The I'll, just try, I'll try Rock of Ages. I guess I don't even know if that's the answer. <laughs> Uh, it isn't, but I'm glad that you oh. ventured to guess. Uh, I saw Jason and Aaron with hands up. Are you all withdrawing guesses, or would you? I've got more names. My guess was going to be Rock of Ages, so I'll just, I'll just burn yeah, mine no, there. I'm good. All right, fair enough. Uh, so we left off at Britney Spears. Up next, we've got Ozzy Osbourne, Seth Green, Michael Caine, Vern Troyer, Beyonce. And Mike Myers, Mike Myers, Mike Myers, Mike Myers, Aaron, your hand is up. My hand's up. How's this gold member? Uh, Austin Powers and gold member, I will give it to you because um, you're not in contention. (laughs) But yes, 2002's Austin Powers and gold member. Um, Yeah, kind of a, yeah, I thought that would be a weird one uh, to end on, a weird final note. um, Because of, and I'm glad we got to, to all those names because 
when we're thinking about American masterpiece, uh, Austin Powers and Goldmember, it's good to remember all the names that uh, that littered that cast list. Um, but enough about Goldmember. The true the true champion here is Abby, coming away with four points out of a possible seven. Um, that's that's it for the for that for the noties. Thank you for indulging Tom uh, Tom's cruise rather, Abby. I'll offer the the floor to you. Do, feel free to to pop off. Do you have anything to say to your 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 adoring fans, your fellow challengers, uh, anything like that? Uh, you are all wonderful, and thank you very much for having me. Wow, uh, Cody, can you turn on your mic and let's just have a, a round of applause for women once more? Just- yeah. Everybody, it's hard, it's hard to see me because my camera's off, but I clap too. I just he was absolutely yeah, definitely clap. That's yeah. I, I I'll check the the literal tape. Um, it, I don't know. I don't see a whole lot of clapping like uh, yeah. waveforms. Harry. I don't know if anybody else is seeing. You see those. the little spikes? Don't lie. Harry, uh, yeah, we just have no way to prove this. Could be out, clicking. Man. Could be tapping. Yeah, yeah. I await litigation. Uh, my lawyers will be in touch. Thank you so much, Abby, for being here. Thank you so much, Cody, for uh, being uh, just the ever present source of joy to close these podcasts with. Um, Abby, uh, where do you want to be found these days? Uh, I am currently, uh, on Twitter at good hunter, Abby, as I said, I don't actually use it much cause I'm on hiatus right now, but you can also find me on letterboxd, uh, along similar lines. Uh, and if you are the right person, you might find me in other areas on Twitter. If you are lucky. Ooh. Uh, and you can find a lot of us uh, at the trial on on occasion. Uh, check out the Into the Twenty First Century Dystopia series all throughout January at the trial on, uh, and uh, more programming schedules and cool slates coming up throughout the rest of the year. So go to trialon.org to check those out. Uh, once again, this has been Trilove. My name is Jason Daphnis. I help make this show, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Thanks so much, Abby, for being here. Um, really, just quick, wanted to note this movie would be, uh, you know, a, a perfect five star film. Instead, I'm going to have to mark it down to a one star film because uh, in the opening, one of the opening sequences, when um, uh, Dakota Fanning and uh, what's his name, uh, Justin Chapman, I don't think we've said his name at all this episode, but once when they arrive, SpongeBob SquarePants is is on the television. Um, I think after Tom Cruise wakes up from like a, a nap or something, uh, the audio and visual are not synced up. Like it's it's really like it's really bad. Um, it's extremely egregious. I want to say it's the episode where SpongeBob is trying to steal back the secret box from Patrick. I could be um, incorrect on that, but um, that's. Uh, yeah, really um, unforgivable Spielberg, uh, really um, flaunting an amateur hour ass film up here. But, you know, he's got a lot of other good ones, so I'll, I'll give him a pass this time. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Hey, real quick, isn't there a line from SpongeBob that's delivered sort of with ironic, dramatic heft during this? Like when Tom Cruise is looking concerned out the window? Do you remember what the line is, Cody? Uh, I think by that point I was too blinded with with fury with to remember, but sure, yeah. But he he did say something with like his uh, like a non classic SpongeBob Tom Kenny tone for sure. I just can't remember what it was. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if anybody wants to let us know uh, in the comments, in the comments, uh, I've been Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. My name is Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at Arby Please. Are we still alive? Thank you.